Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the fans, by the fans, Love Sport Radio. Hello and welcome to the Love Sport Radio West Ham Fan Show with me, Johnny Burrow, and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by James Jones of West Ham World and Will Pugh of the Balls on the Line pod. Gents, we haven't had a show for a couple of weeks, so we've got no fewer than three games to get our teeth into, Fulham, Man City and Newcastle. What were both of you expecting from these three games? Six points, to be honest, I think. Yeah. Can, yeah, that, which is and it's quite nice to actually so get. So you were going to beat City, and who was the yeah, other one? <laughs> exactly. No, it was actually quite nice to get what you expect from a game for once, James, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we did say that before the Fulham game. You know, the next bar in the City game, which kind of fell in between the, the 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 Fulham and the Newcastle one. You know, we've got Cardiff coming up this week. I'm going to speak about it a little bit later on, and then Huddersfield, and then Everton. So we we were saying, you know that. The the run you know the upcoming run of fixtures is is a good chance to sort of pick up some good points and so far I think we've done that but I think the key thing here is that we went to Man City and the team that he put out was questionable Ben Johnson got a got a go young young Ben Johnson and everyone feared the worst and uh, we played really well and I think we were unlucky not to have at least taken a point at City and it's not so, the fir- it's not the first time we've done that either is it the last few times we've gone up there we've given a really strong account of ourselves last year we were extremely unlucky yeah and that was when they were tearing it up we got last minute winner for them again um and even before it was only two or three seasons ago we beat them as well wasn't mm. it Victor Moses and so we we have actually got quite a good record up there with the, although they have a habit of tearing us to pieces at home yeah we, <laughs> we uh well, yeah we normally do all right but no I think from the other two games it was just really good to, we've had a season of inconsistency it's been the theme of plenty of these shows isn't it mm. over the last few weeks and when we go into games we've we've had Watford the Burnleys we're going to games against lots of teams like that not really knowing, although in our hearts going, oh, we should be doing this, we should be beating them. And then we come and do the show the next week and go, oh, that was disappointing, wasn't it? We yeah, get struggle yeah. through with a point or lose. So it's just nice to win, win comfortably against two teams that prior to the games we were we were confident and hopeful of winning. And you talked about bad luck there. To only lose 1-0 to City, and what you say is rightly, it was a very good performance. And to lose 1-0 to a Sergio Aguero penalty, feel a bit hard done by? James, you can go first because I I don't think so. I don't think it was soft. I thought it was a pen. So I, I I'd go the other way. I think it was a soft penalty. Um, I, you know, I said to a couple of mates the following day at work. You know, if that was Mohamed Salah, everyone would be calling him a cheat. 
Mm. Um, and we've seen people call Mohamed Salah a cheat for very similar dives this season. Um, I but think, it wasn't a dive, was I it? Think, I think he bought. I think he, he bought the penalty. I genuinely believe he bought the penalty. Mm. Um, but at the same time, that's what cuts. You know, I mean, those sort of decisions don't go to teams. Don't go in West Ham's favour. They always go in the bigger team's well, favour. In terms of buying the penalty for this one, for your money, was there contact? Yeah, there was. And if it was the other end, and it wasn't given, I'd have been seething. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like absolutely fuming if it, if it was the other end of the pitch and it wasn't given the exact same thing and it was a West Ham player that went down I'd have been fuming so I was a little bit more I must admit I didn't see the game and I heard a load of people telling me what oh, it was so unfair we were robbed etc etc then when I managed to watch it I was a bit like mm, I'm not so sure you say that and the thing that annoys me is I, I can't remember if it was before or after the penalty I'm pretty sure it was after Lanzini breaks free he gets into the city area and he gets clipped if he definitely. goes down, it's a penalty. I mean, the referee can't not give it. It's, so, it's definitely a penalty. So in he that stays instance, up. He stays up. So is he being too honest? For He's your being mind? way D- too honest. Should Lanzini just feel the contact, hit contact, hit the deck, yeah. and take a penalty? Yeah, because it would have been a more of a clear-cut penalty than the Bernardo Silva one for, for City. And I, I mean, it was for, oh, and I watched it online, um, and uh, legally, I, I love it. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it it it, it just frustrated me that you know I don't know whether it's just Lanzini trying to be too honest because he only just got back in the team after a long layoff and injury and he was just you know, doing just his best forgot, to actually forgotten. Yeah. just forgotten how to to do that sort all of thing. wants a goal himself. I mean, on Perhaps, having I come mean, back, he ended up laying it off to uh, Andy Carroll who, who almost scored. It's a good mm. save from uh, from Edison in the end. But at the same time, I don't know whether it was playing in Lanzini said that because last year he won a penalty at Stoke. Yeah, and he got accused of diving. Um, and did he a, get charged for that as well? No, well, I think I think they tried to, but he didn't get. I don't think they charged him in the end. Yeah, but I don't know whether that might have been playing on his mind a little bit, and he's just gone. Now I'm going to stay up here. But I mean, had he gone down, it would have. been It was the exact way. same, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly yeah. the same. So, I mean, swings and roundabouts. Really, I think you know we go there and you know we. I, I mean, I saw the lineup and I was expecting four or five. Now I came on the phone on, on this on this station and just said, "No, we're going to get beat tonight, and it's going <laughs> to be bad." Um, but it ended up being 1-0 to a penalty, so I suppose you know you, you kind of just got to brush yourselves off and go again. Let's touch on Lanzini quickly. It was a really, really cruel time for him to pick up such a bad injury, not just having had a really good domestic season with West Ham, but obviously he'd broken into the Argentina squad for the World Cup. Heartbreaking for him personally, obviously disappointing for West Ham to not have him for the start of this season. And not just thinking about how he's performed, but the player he is and was pre-injury. Mm-hmm. How much of a boost is it for you guys to have him back now? It's a huge boost, but I also am of the opinion that a tiny little bit of me was was glad that he didn't, um, you know, end up playing for Argentina at the World Cup. In case there was a move, honestly, he'd had such a good season for us. If he'd then gone and t- like tore it up with Argentina in the summer, he'd have come back and he'd have been whipped off. I, you know, to be honest, I think it's inevitable he will leave at some point anyway because yeah. he's yeah. so good. But, I mean, it is, a, it is a huge boost now. And obviously, in an ideal world, he would have just been injured for Argentina just long enough so no one was interested in him. And then <laughs> back with us from the beginning of the season. But, but is there not an angle? I take your point completely about you want to hold on to your good players. You don't want to put them in the shop window for other clubs. But surely, I mean, we hear a lot that West Ham won the World Cup for England in 1966. Is there not pride as a West Ham fan in seeing your boys do it on the world stage? Yeah. That, sorry, go on, James. Yeah, no, I mean... I was absolutely gutted when that news came through and I think yeah. everyone else was. Um, and I couldn't believe he'd actually got called up for the World Cup squad. Yeah, he had a good season and he's, he ended it, you know, uh, especially well. He got two goals on the last day of the season against Everton and he was he was in good form. 
So he probably warranted his call up, but I was still surprised that he got called up to the final World Cup squad. Well, they've only got Dybala, Messi, and Aguero up attacking options. Yeah, and, they? and so Higuain yeah. and Icardi. Yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah. a bit, sh- they're a bit short. Not in the squad yeah. even. So very good job from Lanzini to have done it. So much more for us to touch on, of course, the Fulham game. Fulham's, I mean, I'm talking to the Fulham guys after you, so I think I'll save this for them, but the just inability to defend corners more broadly is very worrying for me. We also will get our teeth into Declan Rice, future England captain for you two. Mm, yeah, probably. <laughs> you weren't too sure a couple of weeks ago, were you? Well, I'm just jumping on the bandwagon now and yeah. I'm fed up getting shouted at by everyone. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. You might as well join us. <laughs> exactly. Wonderful little player. We'll also later in the show be comparing him, perhaps a little bit generously, to Longstaff of Newcastle. Lots to come. Don't go anywhere. Love sport. Gents, you were saying just at the very beginning of the show that from that run of three games, Fulham, City and Newcastle, you wanted six points. Three of those came against Fulham. Was that a particularly impressive performance as far as you're concerned, particularly after going a goal down early? Uh, a bit trademark, sloppy, slow start, wasn't it, from yeah. us? They, I mean, Babel had missed a, missed a guilt edge chance before he, before he put the one in on four minutes. And, <laughs> but I'll be honest, after that... There was only ever going to be one winner. I, I almost, I was really surprised going into it. I thought oh, Fulham are going to be, you know, everyone's been talking about how poor they are. And first fifteen minutes, I'd say, I was thinking, ah, oh, they're out of trouble. Like if they can play like this all season, they will score goals. And I've never seen such a rapid capit. Well, I have uh, West Ham plenty of times, but <laughs> it was such a rapid capitulation yeah. in a team. They just went from looking reasonably tidy, certainly going forward and on the counter attack. To just like it was, I explained it. I used the analogy to one of my mates after the game. It was like the the thing on FIFA where you've got eleven people who each have control of one player and they're just doing what they like. It's just <laughs> where, the, where the right back decides he fancies a goal exactly on thirty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just expecting the keeper to like tear up the pitch halfway through the yeah, first half. Yeah. But it was just I I couldn't believe the capitulation. And then we didn't even have to get our second gear to win that yeah. in the end, did we? It was a strange one. I mean, I was telling you will before that uh, I actually missed Fulham's goal. I I was queuing up in security for ages trying to get into the stadium. Got to my seat, didn't look at the scoreboard, saying hello to everyone, sits around me, and they're like, Joe, have you seen the score? I'm like, why are you so happy? Like, oh my God. Did you miss the one on one as well? And I was like, obviously I did. It could be 2 0 down. Mm. But even then, obviously I didn't see the goal and I didn't see how poorly we started. I think I got there at like six or seven minutes. I didn't really see how poor we were playing in that, in that opening stages. But I still, I still went, I'm not really that bothered because I really think we're going to go and win this game. Mm. Um, not, it's not so much like any disrespect to Fulham, but Given Fulham's situation, given, you know, I know that we can be a threat from set pieces. I know Fulham are terrible. At, uh, <laughs> Just woeful. And and I, I thought, you know, it, we, we will get back into this game. We're going to make it hard for ourselves, and we'd already done that by going 1-0 down early on. But, you know, I, I I still believed that we'd go on and win that game. And, yeah, I mean, it it, it was nice to see a relatively comfortable victory in the end. Um Handball from Hernandez was a bit sketchy, wasn't it? Yeah, but you know, sometimes you need those to go in, don't you, really? Well, so I was asked about this on the Bell and Sperling show, the old Bell and Sperling show on a Saturday. They, of course, now run the comedy drive time. I came on the phone a weekend when I was away, and Bell, who is a West Ham fan, asked me about the Chicharito handball and said, listen... Was was it dodgy? And the answer is, it's one of them where it's the rub of the green, isn't it? West Ham are going to get some of them. They're going to get quite a few, as you were suggesting earlier, James, go against them, particularly when playing against big teams. It's just what happens. Pre-VAR, that's what we're going to have to deal with. 
those decisions normally go against us. So for us to get it, you know, I'm, I'm you know, okay, it was handball. Um, happened right in front. I mean, I didn't notice at the time. It was only until <laughs> after the game that someone said it was definitely handball, and I watched it back. But you know. We've had so many of those over the years go against us, whether it's a penalty decision, whether it's you know a handball goal, or whether it's an offside. Mm. So you can make the argument they cancel each other out, but obviously Fulham will, will obviously feel aggrieved because you know that then kickstarted us to go and get one or two more. But it was his fiftieth fiftieth goal in the Premier League, um, all of which have been inside the area, which is not bad. Little stat, not a bad yeah. little stat. It's Miroslav Klose style, isn't yeah. it? At the World Cup. Yeah. Do you, you, James? You did have a, you did have a stat. You were desperate to tell everyone a couple of weeks ago. Is it too late for that now? Because I was very impressed. Well, I will say it because I was, I was like secretly gutted that you, I couldn't well, say he's it. also it, put you on the spot now so yeah, it, but it wasn't that secret was it it Let's wasn't that secret because I told everyone <laughs> you were heartbroken <laughs> and then the 90 minutes we were on here I didn't say it but so I mean it's probably it doesn't probably apply now because he's Might have dated he's, a little bit but, probably, but uh, before these three games that mm. we've been talking about um, I think Anderson had, had, nutmeg, had, had pulled off a nutmeg 18 times so far this season, it worked out a nutmeg every 130 minutes or something like that. So he's a popular man with defenders then. <laughs> it's a miracle he doesn't get kicked more. You see Neymar in France getting his legs absolutely pasted. He's now quite badly injured because he rainbow flicks someone. As long as Felipe Anderson keeps the ball on the yeah. ground, yeah, he'll yeah. probably be all right. Moving forward then, looking back, but moving forward to Newcastle at the weekend. That was a really good result. And was the fact that you kept a clean sheet even more impressive? I think so. Clean sheets, okay, we've been playing okay this season. We've had our little blips, but I think clean sheets have, have been something that's has been a problem. I think before the Newcastle game, Fabianski only kept four in the Premier League, even though he's been our player of the season. Um, so for him to, to get another one, and I think defensively, Isidiop and Ogbonov are outstanding once again. Yeah, agree. Um, Fredericks is looking all right down on that right-hand side. So defensively, it was a great performance. I mean, Newcastle, you know, they had all those shots on goal, but they didn't really threaten. You know, Benitez come out and said, you know, if you have those that amount of shots, you know, you should be winning games. Didn't really feel threatened. Well, the chances Newcastle. weren't that good, were they? It was shots from Rondon coming from wide and all yeah, this, but yeah. there wasn't one where you thought you have to score that. Yeah, there, it was a strange one because after the game, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was as comfortable as the Fulham victory, to be quite frank, because I thought Fulham was so much worse than Newcastle were. Newcastle just looked like a. They looked like a team that screams 14th place in the Premier League, didn't mm. they? They just sort of looked dangerous enough so that when they come up against teams like Fulham, they will probably come out on top. They could have scored, like you say. They they weren't very clinical. It wasn't like extremely dangerous, but they were at least getting the ball into the right sort of areas. But no, I, I think if, if they'd have scored, I wouldn't have been surprised. But again, it was quite another, just, just third gear, like just S- nice. Everyone, straightforward. Yeah, and everyone's doing I mean, their bits. It's a little bit of an alien feeling to us. <laughs> to, to win games you know, in to, a straightforward to, way. To, I mean, to, to win two home games in a row in such a straightforward fashion at that stadium. I will talk about the home form a little bit later on. But it's, it's, it was the last two times I've left that stadium... That, that was, was nice. It really, was really easy. <laughs> I enjoyed and myself. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's it's a very strange feeling, but you know, we're gonna take it. We're gonna take it. And we're still in still in for the seventh place trophy, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> And talking about that straightforwardness then, it would be very easy to sit here and go, Well, it should be straightforward. You've got a generous run of fixtures and these games were part of that. But actually it's more complicated than that, isn't it? And is there anything in particular tactically that you feel that Pellegrini's done to really make the most of this fixture list? Well, I mean, 
tactics aside, I think just West Ham don't do things the way other football clubs, you know, should be doing things. I mean, we always make things hard for ourselves, as we said, and you know, we we're not the run of a run of a mill football club. You mm-hmm. know, we, we all, you know, we go into a game thinking right, we should beat these t- this team because they won in eight, and then they'll go and beat us four nil because um, that's what West Ham do. But tactically, I think you know. It took a long time for him to to really put his philosophy onto the team. As you know, he lost the first four games of the season, having spent a hundred million quid. hundred million quid, and it was a little bit slow. But I think the key thing that he's done is he, he stuck to his principles. Okay, he's tweaked a few little bits, but you know, essentially stuck to his principles. He's trusted the players as well because when that bad run was going on, there was the suggestion that you'd brought in too many players and that it's hard for them all to gel. But actually, with the absence of Yarmolenko, who was, of course, only out because of injury, Mm. Pellegrini has actually looked at the likes of Anderson, the likes of Diop, the likes of Balbuena when he's fit and said, you know what, I am confident in my recruitment policy. I've got faith in these players and it will gel. And you were talking earlier about inconsistency. There has been some, but actually this West Ham team is now looking like a team. Johnny as well the the like one of the things last season we were it was it was poor to be yeah. honest it was yeah. really poor. So I I know what you mean and I thought a similar thing. I was like you can't just it's not sustainable to just throw 100 million quid at it, but they needed to do something anyway. It was that bad they needed to do that as just like the the first thing, the first step on the ladder. And again we would we've spoke at length before about they we hope they do it again and that they back it up because otherwise that drop in the ocean approach doesn't really help but I think the one when you talk about tactics there and I don't think it's necessarily specific to Pellegrini I think it's something we saw under Bilic and that we certainly see at Liverpool now is that certainly going forward we've got three players in that attacking three that give opposition the opposition equal things to worry about, especially with Lanzini coming back. Exactly, especially with Lanzini coming back now. Like when we had Payet, Lanzini, and Sacco before under Bilic, that was three players that were would all give defence or the defences something to worry about. So they couldn't just uh, go. Oh, it's all right. The, the guy out on the right, I know, it might have been Antonio Gocantore, for example. <laughs> like, oh, he, he's not going to do anything, so it doesn't matter. We can focus on Lanzini, and I think. As much as as good as they are on the ball, when you've got three people going forward that the defence have got to worry about equally, then it gives all three of them more time and space to do what they do when they get on the ball. It's just like when Liverpool, like when Salah drops out of Liverpool, it's not just the like Salah that you lose. If it's a Regi who comes in, defences think, well, we don't have to focus on him so much. So it also oppresses, you know, Mane and Firmino's game as well. Mm. And I think it's just nice for us to have three players that are all dangerous and when Anderson, Lanzini and Arnautovic get the ball you think something's going to happen here. The key thing for me though uh, and it, it actually we saw it come into fruition for the Everton win earlier this season at Goodison Park where those first four games we had no balance in midfield he was playing Wilshire and Noble which from, from within 10 minutes in that opening day against uh, against Liverpool away where we lost 4-0 like no nah, this isn't I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan. I, I can confirm you can't do that no, with Jack Wilshire. And, you know, uh, but then Wilshire gets injured. Turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise. Or just and, a blessing. Or just stop. a blessing. A blessing looking like a blessing. Yeah. And and then, you know, he brings Rice back in because Rice got hauled off against Liverpool. And that. He brings Rice back in. Um, and ever since then, the midfield's been a lot more, you know, there's a lot more balance to it. Whether that's whether that was Sanchez before he got injured. I didn't, you know, I didn't think he was that bad, really. Just a nice little squad player to use. Obiang comes in, does a job. Um, Snodgrass can play in that middle and, and do a job. Um, so he's brought in a little bit of balance. But Declan Rice, 
the way that he's brought him back, um, you know, and we, we bang on about that class every week, but I think him just playing the role that he does and the way the role that he's excelling in then allows the front three to go forward, it allows Noble to maybe push a little bit forward, help the front three out. And with Lanzini as well, Rice can just sit back and then just mop everything up and let everyone else do their job going forward. We'll be looking at the defence in just a moment, but I've got a final question on that front three, which is if we take that figure of 18 nutmegs for Anderson as yet, as... as Might be 19 as now. Could be 19. We'll go with 18 for the, for the sake of reason. Uh, and we look at his transfer fee, which is 35 million quid, 40 million quid. We're looking at about 2 million quid a nutmeg value. I would say so. Yeah, it's excellent value oh, for money yeah, all day long. Bit yeah. of a slow start, but he's got he's got there. Oh, anything for a nutmeg. Coming up, a chat about the opening of the Billy Bonds stand. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, and James Jones from West Ham World, and Will Pugh from the Balls on the Line Pod. And something we don't see enough in modern football, gents, is a club really honouring one of their great legends of the past. West Ham did that this weekend with the opening of the Billy Bond Stand. It was fantastic, to be honest. Not a bad word to say about that. It was one of the. I mean, it was. It's a feel-good time at the club, anyway. We had the excellent news about Isla Caton as well yes, which has happened yeah. since our last show and to see like you say talking of legends 799 games for the club a cult hero all I ever heard my dad talking about when I grew up obviously I wasn't fortunate enough to see him play but it was really tastefully done The I was lucky enough to um, have a seat in the corporate area on the weekend so I had an excellent view of the display they put on in the East End or now the Billy Bond stand the whole thing was done it was really classy they had loads of former players come out and and you could just tell he's held in such high esteem not just with the fans but among the club as well conducts himself so gracefully and always has done and it was yeah just absolutely fantastic not enough superlatives for me yeah no that's the stand that I sit in and um, so I was part, a little bit like part actually get involved in the ceremony a little bit, holding up the uh, the bags and sort of put doing that mural and stuff. And it was brilliant. And you know, if anything, not taking away from the, the whole event itself, I think it's, it was an event that the stadium needed. Mm. You know, I mean, all the negativity that's been around since we moved to that stadium, and it was so nice that you know the fans could come together as one, get into the stadium early, create an atmosphere, honor one of you know one of the club's you know greatest ever players. Um, and just have a bit of a celebration before the game, you know. The, to actually see Billy Bonds cry was was a strange one because we know him as you know the hard, you know, hard tackling midfield or you know that he was. But I thought it was wonderful and it really set the tone for the day moving forward. I thought it was just brilliant. Great that you felt he could cry as well, even as someone with a reputation of being a hard man at a club like West Ham, which is you know a respectful club and a nice club, but one filled with traditionally quite hard people. Nice to see a man go. You know what? This is an emotional day. I'm very happy, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a cry. Well, I saw a I saw a piece with Ray Stewart as well. Obviously, played with Billy Bonds, another man who's held in extremely high regard amongst West Ham and their fans. And I saw a video of him, and he said that's the first time he's seen him cry. Mm. And in his whole time, you know, played with him for years and years, all the things he achieved with the club and things he would, you know, the people go through day to day. And he said that's the first time he's seen him cry. He's, he's a man of few words anyway, Billy, mm. isn't he? He's not one for media. He's very media shy, normally a private man. But, he, you know, he only said a few words, didn't he, over the Alvin Martin who was doing the presentation. 
which, which was really not well done as well, I thought. But yeah, Billy just said a few words, said how proud he was, but you could just see how much it meant to him, couldn't you? He was going around the crowd afterwards and banging his chest. And yeah. You could just, it, it was just fantastic. I really can't speak nah, highly enough no, of the I whole can't, thing. No, and the, I think it's the way the fans sort of came together and, as I said, you know, celebrated it and sung his name for 15, 20 minutes before the game. And, you know, that's the best atmosphere I've seen at the stadium since we moved there. Um, so it, it was wonderful. And, you know, it's great that we've now got three West Ham legends named after stands at the new new ground. I mean, I, I did say to a mate that, you know, it's happened way too late. It should have happened at Upton Park because, um, you know, that's where he made his name. But it hasn't, but at least it's happened now and, you know, we can move forward and, you know, I'm I'm proud to say that I'm a season to get older than Billy Bond stand. Yeah, mm. wonderful stuff. And thinking about that atmosphere that was created, you were saying, James, best atmosphere you've seen at the new ground. Do you think that helped the team on the pitch to get a result on the day as well? I think so. I mean, Noble spoke a lot uh, before the game and then, then again afterwards just about... Um, you know how much it means and how he's based his game and and more you know how he conducts himself on on Billy Bonds and and there is that feeling that you know Mark Noble is a, is a bit of a modern day Billy Bonds if you like perhaps not in quite the way he plays his game because the game these days just doesn't allow you to be as hard tackling and um, rough and ready if you will as as Billy Bonds was but that's a lot of people have gone to great lengths haven't they recently or since it's all been in the media and all that to make a point of saying that he wasn't just that sort of player that he was a fantastic footballer as well mm. but uh, to bring it back to the atmosphere that you mentioned then I think it is just a really and we know it's like in football it's up and down but it's a really feel good time at the club at the moment I mentioned the Isla Caton thing and that's, you know, that on top of the Billy Bond stuff and a couple of wins. It's just, I've actually, I've been beaming all week, actually. <laughs> it's just really yeah, it nice. Makes, it makes a change, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah it's, it's nice. Especially for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, I suppose it's worth saying that, you know, that the whole Isla Katie thing really kicked it off. And it's wonderful that she's, you know, she's, she looks like she's in remission. She's, she's beaten. I think I've, I read somewhere that she's the first, first child to actually beat that, that strain of cancer. So, I mean, it's great news and. Uh, another great example of you know football fans from uh, Millwall fans helped us out as well, and football fans coming together for 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 a young girl in need, and I mean that really set the tone for the rest of the week, and then the Billy Bonds thing happened, and then we go and beat Newcastle when everyone's happy. Um, we just got to make sure that we follow that up, but knowing West Ham, we'll go to Cardiff at the weekend and lose. <laughs> Even though, and we'll be talking, of course, about the Cardiff fixture later in the show, we'll be talking to Dominic Booth, who is a Cardiff City correspondent for Wales Online as well. Even though Cardiff have been going through a pretty horrible run, West Ham coming into this in a great run, you still think that the inconsistency of the side is such that you could lose to the Bluebirds? I suppose it's not that. It's, it's not that. I suppose it's just the... the the pessimist in, uh, pessimist in me that you've just spent uh, two yeah. minutes talking about how good you're feeling how good the club is feeling what a lovely week it's been and then you yeah, go I, I, just, I, I don't back us regardless of all that I mean I do back us I do I do and you're shaking your head yeah, I, you can't <laughs> believe it no but I just I just know, I know I've spoken West Ham long enough to know that okay we might be in a good place right now and you know seventh is a possibility and whether we want to get into Europe or not still seventh is a good you know good you know good target to have but I just know what we're like. And it do, I don't care how much money we've spent on players. I don't care where our manager is. I, I've, I'm just, I've, I'm so used to, over the years, seeing West Ham go through little spells like this and then doing something incredibly stupid against a, a team we should be beating. Now, well, I was, I'm, I'm not having it this week. I was, no. ra- and that, I was, racking, my, <laughs> I was racking my brains before and I saw the, um, obviously, no, we're going to do a bit about Cardiff. 
and I was determined not to do what I usually do, which is start, and someone will go, oh, what do you think this week? And I go, oh, well, and exactly what James said, well, you know what we like, it's Cardiff, and they haven't won in 500 years, so they'll probably beat us 3-0. Always do that, and I'm always pessimistic. But So this week, I'm I'm not having it, and we're going to win 4-0 easily. Wow. Nice. So yeah. I should be changing my fantasy team then. <laughs> I would be, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want this feel-good feel good factor at the club at the moment to carry on. I've been loving it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm having it. It's going to carry on this week for sure. Now, long may it continue. It's wonderful stuff. And, of course, we'll be hopefully keeping that mood going in just a moment because we'll be talking to a man who knows West Ham Football Club very, very well. Tony Carr, former head of youth development at the club, knows a thing or two about the likes of Mark Noble, of course. Interesting to get his views as well on Declan Rice, on Grady D and Garner, on the new wave of talent coming through. That's coming up in just a moment. 5.58 a.m. Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio and I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Tony Carr, former Director of Youth Development at West Ham United Football Club, an incredibly popular and important man at the club. Tony, it's been a great run for West Ham. What's behind it? I think um, there's a a belief in the squad at the moment, I think, a real belief that, um, that they can get a result wherever they go. Um, I think, obviously, the team are playing well. As one or two players come back from injury, um, I think the form of Declan in midfield has been nothing short of remarkable. He grows with the role and it's getting better and better. Um, I think Mark Noble's had a resurgence. I think he's he's, he's helped Declan in that midfield and and I think their energies have bounced off each other and I think it's it's looking quite good. We're not as, we're not leaking as many goals as we as we were earlier. We've had the odd blip. Obviously, Wimbledon was a blip, but um, certainly, you know, I was I was at the game Saturday for Billy Bond's uh, um, stand, uh, stand naming, and um, I thought it was a great atmosphere and um, a good performance and a good victory. Evening, Tony. I uh, lucky, Evening. Enough, lucky enough to bump into you before the game on on the weekend, and obviously you touched on it. That's there. right. Yeah, I touched on it there that you were there for uh, there for Billy. Um, before we talk about you know the the tactical stuff and the good results we've had recently, what did you? What were your overall things? Obviously, you enjoyed the day, but what you know? What are your overall thoughts on that? The stand naming and and Billy as a man. Cause I know you're still friends with him now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've known Billy a very, very long time, and. Um... You know, he, you know, he's what everybody says he is, and I don't want to go over old ground. He's a real gentleman, a real fire. Now, he, he was very emotional the weekend. Saturday, he was pumping his chest and thumping his, you know, the imaginary badge on his on his chest, and you know, he he welled up and was very, very emotional about it. I think he was very proud. You know, they've named one stand the Brooklyn stand and one the Bobby Moore stand, and if they're going to name any other stand, there's only other one other person, which Tony so Carr. I thought, now, well, maybe, but I thought it was very fitting. Now, I'm, I'm way down the list. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Tony, I mean, given the day and the, you know, everything that happened before the game for, for Billy and, and everything else, yeah. it was incredibly fitting then, wasn't it, that we went and won a game so comfortably, but with two academy products on, on the score sheet. Um, one of yeah, which, exactly. One of which, you know, is just coming through. And the other one, as you mentioned, Mark Noble, who's sort of, you know, has helped... Declan Rice out a lot, but you know, openly admitted that he has modelled a little bit of his game on Billy Bonds. Yeah, and well, I, you know, no, no greater person to do that with his drive, his enthusiasm, his never say die attitude. 
And if Declan can, you know, play after games builded, uh, you know, he would have done a while for himself. And there's no reason why he can't. No, he's he's an, he's an exciting prospect and and he's an exciting talent. But you got to on the ground. You've got to keep sort of level-headed about it because mm. it's it's easy to get carried away now. Media, the press, and TV, and I get carried away with a little bit of success. But the hard part is maintaining and you know, and keeping that that career going for not just the next uh, ten months, the next ten years or more. And uh, there's no reason why he should. He's a good kid anyway. I know him very well, and he's uh, he's level-headed, and he's he's got that attitude about him that he wants to get better and he wants to learn and he's, and he's got that thirst and that heart to do that. And there's no reason as I see it that he can't get better and better and maybe make, make a future captain, but he's got those qualities. So Tony, with all that in mind, I mean, given that, you know, he had Noble and Rice on the score sheet um, yeah. and, and we've spoken a lot in the past about, you know, Rice ability and how great it is that a player of his caliber and his potential has come through the academy. Hello. Um, do, you, do you not just think that you know, with, with all the form that we're in at the moment, everything that's happened this week and, and this season, that the club's sort of beginning to get a little bit of his identity back after a couple of years where we're a little bit in limbo? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it, it, it's, a, it's, it's been a difficult transition. Uh, it's a marvellous stadium. Some may say it's, you know, it's not really a football stadium, but it is a marvellous stadium. Mm. And uh, I think the club now, with the little bit of success that they're having, hopefully that can be sustained, that the fans then start to really get behind the team, which they, they have been this season, and certainly Saturday was a great example of that. And, um, you know, make it make it our home now and make it our ground because, you know, we're not going back to the boat and it, it, it's, it's the future of the football club. And I think I, I'm seeing the signs now that the fans are starting to accept that. Tony, obviously Declan Rice is currently the standout graduate of the West Ham Youth Academy, but young Grady Dean Garner is getting minutes as well at the other end of the pitch. How far yeah. do you see him going in the game? What, Grady? Yeah, Dean Garner. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about opportunity again. You know, I think the more minutes he can get, the more he can stay around that environment, um, the, the better. He's a very talented player. He always is, even as a kid, when we, we first brought him in, nine-year-old many years ago now and he was always a very talented kid great left foot uh, could beat people for fun at, at that you know drop on his shoulder and could go by people um, just needs a little bit of work on his end product I think and um, you know the final pass the final shot etc um, but certainly if he's not getting enough minutes I think he's done enough to you know earn himself um, a good club on loan somewhere where he can sort of play with the men's play with the uh, you know the hustle and bustle of the league football and um, and, it, and he'll be in good company doing that and as you all remember as West Ham fans and you know Rio went out Frank Lampard went out on loan Jermaine Defoe went out on loan Michael Carrick went out on loan Glenn Johnson went out on loan uh, and all those and, and, and others obviously the only one who didn't was Joe because uh, he was in and around the team all the time but uh, certainly um, that might be the route where he gets some minutes under his belt and comes back a more experienced and better player. But I mean, I'm not in that. I'm not in a position to know what the ins and outs of that is. And uh, at the moment, he's in and around the team. And I'm sure he's enjoying it. But as you're rightly saying, he needs he needs some minutes on the pitch. Tony, that, 
Grady and Declan are just two of, of many positives around the club at the moment. And we, we've been discussing it tonight. But for the first time in, in quite a while, there's a real feel-good factor about the club. Obviously, short term with the stuff with Billy and Isla Caton and a couple of good results as well. It's, it's, you know, it's a yeah. really, really good time, just the last week or so especially, to support West Ham. But for once, certainly from my point of view, it feels certainly with Pellegrini in charge and the way the club's going, that it's not going to be so short-lived as perhaps some, some of the positive spells we've seen in the past. Do you think that with Pellegrini at the helm, do you, do you agree with that sentiment in that you know this, this feel-good factor could, could keep going for the rest of the season and then beyond? I, I agree with what you're saying, but um, and I don't know Pellegrini. I've never met him, so I don't really know him. But what I know from the outside, he, he's not afraid to put kids in, you know, he, he, he stuck with Declan when Declan was going through a little bit of a bad and making the odd mistake and costing us points at various times. Not big, big, big things, but other managers might have dismissed them. But Matt Pellegrini stuck with him and kept, he's grown and grown with that, with that confidence that the manager's got in him. And uh, certainly the, the youth programme at the moment, I mean, let's be fair, West Ham, you know, from, you know, Bobby always had a thriving youth program and, it, and it not like all those things you have ups and downs you have good spells and but it, it seems that you know there's the boys that basically most of them I know because they were in the system when I was there that um, you know, there's a lot of talent there and um, you know what they're crying out for is just get an opportunity getting it around the first team and and, and maybe next season we, you know, there may be one or two more knocking on the door and showing what they can do Let's hope so. But it, as you're right to say, there's a real positive vibe about the place. Well, Tony, that excellence of the West Ham youth system is obviously largely down to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That was Tony Carr there, former director of youth development at the club. What a lovely bloke. Coming up, one of his very finest products, Declan Rice, is being compared to someone who, for my money, he's much better than. Don't go anywhere. Love sports. Now, a lot has already been made of Declan Rice on this show. He's a fantastic young talent who looks to have finally, gloriously committed his international future to England. But another young British talent is cropping up in Newcastle in the form of Sean Longstaff. Not perhaps getting plaudits on the scale of Rice, but he is impressing, particularly Newcastle fans, obviously, very, very keen on him. And James, some Newcastle fans have now seen fit to suggest that Longstaff is on Rice's level. Yeah, uh, it, it was a media-driven thing in the build-up to this game because Longstaff had had a couple of couple of good games for Newcastle, and you know, fair enough, seems like a good player. Um, we might might represent England one day. I don't know, but I just it it, it seemed like a really weird thing to do in a build-up of a game uh, where Rice is an established first-team player. He's played what sixty games for the first team, whereas Longstaff's only broken in over the last couple of months. Um, Scoring goals, though, Longstaff? Yeah, well, Declan Rice has scored two. Longstaff um, scored two? Yeah, but Declan Rice scored in the game that matters against... Longstaff against. scores screamers. Well, I'm sure Declan Rice would as well. But <laughs> I, for me, personally, I just thought, you know, with all, and all the fans jumped on it as well. And I thought, you know, Declan Rice has got to really make a case for it. And then for him to score and then Longstaff get hauled off at half-time with an injury 
uh, had me thinking, is his name really Sean Lowstaff? Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. dear. Well, we're going to move on quickly. And it needn't be me defending poor old Sean Longstaff against this West Ham onslaught. Because I'm delighted to say that our producer, Mr. Lolly, Lo- Lo- you see, you've, you've affected me, James. <laughs> Laurie Callas is a Newcastle fan. Make the case for Sean, please, Laurie. Well, um, the first thing I'll say is, as you've rightly pointed out, obviously we didn't bring up the comparison. I think it was Martin Keown said it to start with. Yeah, it was media-driven, yeah. So it was media-driven. But the other thing is that they're clearly not as similar players as the media have liked to make them out to be. Declan Rice has come from centre-back. You know, he's very defensive-orientated and, you know, he drives. Um, Sean Longstaff's much more of a... And Johnny's already made fun of me for making this comparison, but I mean style-wise. Well, I want to be able to make fun of you on air, so he's might say a, the same thing. He's, he's going to be funny, a, isn't it? He's more of a Michael Carrick-style player. I said, if you compare Sean Long- Longstaff to Michael Carrick in front of West Ham fans, it'll be a short conversation. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily impose himself on the game, but, you know, he dictates the play I see more. where you're coming from. Yeah, I do, actually, I do actually take your point, despite being a wind-up merchant. Could it not be a case that they could both be very good players and could we possibly I mean we now have seen Declan Rice commit his international future to England looks pretty likely that a call up will be coming for Rice in the next squad you next thought. week I think yeah I, I think just like you say obviously it was media driven but I do want to give James some credit there because as well as I hope the, not for the joke involving the word lol I'm, I mean, not, that, I'm not having that again that, that was one of the funniest things I've heard him say I've known him for ages <laughs> But no, I think the it was media-driven initially, but I think the thing that made it worse for a lot of West Ham fans was the video of the Newcastle fan, and this is a copyright to James here for this comparison, but acting like Ric Flair in a sort of weird on-street interview he was giving, yeah, yeah. claiming how Longstaff is streets ahead of Declan Rice. But I'll be honest, okay, he might be all right, and he's shown flashes, and you know, realistically, we still don't know whether, you know, Declan's only done it for a short space of time. But I haven't heard too many stories about Man City and Liverpool and Tottenham sniffing around Longstaff and sending scouts to go and watch him at games. And it's, it, it really is a bit of a non-story, I, isn't I it? think it's too early for him. Um, and I'm, I don't... I mean, he's, he's played... What, just, this is his breakthrough season. Um, he's not even had a full season. Um, so for Martin Keown to come out and make that comparison... And then for us, which has ultimately led to us sitting here tonight, make, like discussing it. Important to remember that that is his job, and pundits yeah. are that sort of trying it, to create it was, headlines. It was, prem- that we're it, talk was way, about. it was way too premature, um, and it puts a lot of pressure on the likes of Sean Longstaff on his, on his shoulders, who to be as good as Declan, to be as you mean. good as Declan Rice <laughs> or Michael Carrick, as the case may be, Laurie Callas. To, to, to create that kind of that kind of um, competition and that. That I'm not going to say feud because it wasn't really a feud, but you know that that debate leading into a game like that, you know, where it's, and then they just sort of surround it around two 18-year-old lads in midfield. It's just a little bit strange. Longstaff is actually is actually 21. Is he so, really? So a little bit more senior as He's well. Way behind Declan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Sean Longstaff has a little brother as well called Matty Longstaff, who's 18. Who's, so are we expecting pretty good. big things from him? Well, maybe we... they'll be running the midfield together in the future. I tell you what, you have said one thing that I want to pick up on though. You're talking about. Teams sniffing around Declan Rice, they're not doing it with Longstaff. We know Longstaff is Newcastle through and through. Everyone knows Declan Rice wants to transfer back to Chelsea. Oh. <laughs> He's already ditched Ireland for us. You know, he, he'll, he'll leave you. It's a fair point. Yeah, I, I, it is a bit of a... It is, it's almost me and James sort of feel obliged to entertain the idea for the good of the show, don't we? But he we, could really? be a one-club man. 
Who, Declan? Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's clearly West Ham through and through, isn't oh, he? Oh, yeah. I think um, he's got a tattoo already, hasn't he? Of the yeah, cross he's got tattoo. <laughs> um, he's, he's not the first player that we've nabbed off another academy, though. No. Um, we, we nabbed Michael Carrick off Newcastle. Um, well, well you won't club? be nabbing Sean Longstaff. <laughs> Definitely not. Sure. They fell off a of Charlton as well. So It was quite nice to see Declan give it the old shush to the fans, though, wasn't it? I, I was quite surprised. Some so young to you'd have thought you'd have just scored and brushed it off but he went and did a Mikhail Antonio-esque celebration <laughs> in the corner before giving it the old yeah. shush to yeah. the away this, fans this ter- terrible sort of shoulder based dance <laughs> as well was, good yeah. goal but terrible celebration with the celebration though and talking obviously jokingly about the Hammers tattoo that Declan may or may not <clears throat> doesn't have um <laughs> He does actually, in terms of how he celebrates, seem to have a connection with the fans. And I know that we've seen that modern football is a fickle beast and you can sign a new deal, as he has done, and still be out the door in a fortnight. But actually, when he scores a goal, the way he celebrates with his teammates, the way he slaps the badge and punches his fist at the crowd, he does seem to genuinely have some affection for the club. I think massively, yeah. don't you? And I think he's still he's still only a young kid. He's he's still really new to this first team football environment and playing in front of crowds, really, isn't it? It was mm. only last this time last year he would be he was still playing, you know, playing under twenty three games in front of three or four hundred people. It's you can tell as much as he might have an affinity to the club. He's just a youngster scoring and playing really well in front of sixty thousand people. Yeah, and you saw what you know the, the reception that Billy Bond's got, and you know how how much we you know how much respect and how much we we you know we, like the likes of Bobby Moore and and Trevor Brook and all these like academy players that come through the club. West Ham love an academy player, and obviously Newcastle are the same in terms of their their youth products. When they bring, they adore players like that because they they base. It's, it's it's part of the part of the club's DNA, and you know we called the academy of football. So you get a player like Declan Rice come through, um, impose himself on the first team, um, you know, be, be linked with some big clubs. Uh, suggests he's gonna, he's, you know, he's gonna be a star, and you know he's, he probably will get called up for England ne- next week. Um, it's a pr- it's proud for proud thing for for West Ham fans. So that's why that there's that relationship there because. He knows that we love him and we adore him, and I think he feels that from us. And you know the, the feelings, you know, reciprocated. I want to get the Newcastle view of last weekend's action, looking at the West Ham team in just a moment. But before we do that, talking about Declan Rice establishing himself in the first team, particularly in that holding midfield role, also being able to play centre back, got me thinking about Reese Oxford, who of course shot onto the scene with a fantastic performance against Arsenal at the Emirates when he was just a kid. Then a couple of loan moves to Germany doesn't seem to be quite working for him. Does he have a future at West Ham? No. Well, well, that was quick. Thanks. Quite short. Yeah, I was going to give a little bit more of a, <laughs> a, a detailed response. Just more, it, it's the the word on the street, if you will, is just that his attitude and his application isn't quite. So, not a question of talent, but well, I don't think so. I mean, if you if you start away at Arsenal at sixteen years of age and have an extremely good game and not look out of place, there, I, I don't think the talent was ever a doubt, really, was it? I think the height was too early for him, though. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm. I'm not saying he shouldn't have played that game. What I'm saying is the hype that came after that was way too much too early for him. And I think that's why now, potentially, and allegedly he's got this attitude problem where he thinks he should be in the first team every week. It's because he was getting told at 16 years old that he's worth 30 grand a week and he's going to be the next you know, the next Bobby Moore. Uh, way too early to be making those assumptions. And 
Same thing happened with Rooney, though, didn't it? I do still. Th- I know. I know what you mean. And obviously, when someone comes in that young, they do need a lot more guidance around them. And you hope there's good people around them, educating them. But Noble's still in and around the squad. There's, you know, there's no doubt he would have been doing what he's done with Declan and, and other young players. That's an arm around the shoulder and really encouraging him because he wants the best thing for the club as well. And we have seen players like come onto the scene that early and and carry it through, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, we have, but I mean, I, I don't doubt that, that Mark Noble hasn't tried to to sort re- research for the f- uh, out of, of you know, you know, in, behind the scenes, but clearly it hasn't worked. Well, on the Rooney thing with hyping players young, I think this overhype, which is something we talk about a lot in English football, where it is a problem that we have more than the French or the Italians or the Germans, who all basically laugh at us for the first time a teenager has a good game, we go right, he's David Beckham. The thing is, if you hype a player like Rooney, who actually is going to become the all-time record scorer for United, who is going to become the all-time leading scorer for England, that kind of the player can get away with it. Because if your head inflates in that way, but you are playing every week, no one's that bothered. The problem comes, like Declan Rice, if the development stalls a bit, and then the amount you're performing is no longer relative to the amount you're being hyped. I just want to touch, uh, as we come to the end of the hour, again on the Newcastle game. We have a Newcastle fan with us, of course, producer Laurie Callas. A disappointing result for the two, Laurie, but looking as someone who's just seen his side get defeated by West Ham, what was it about the Hammers that impressed you? Well, I mean, I think West Ham have sporadically been impressive all season. I, I think no one, there's not many Newcastle fans who are going to come out and be like, they didn't deserve to win that game because they did what they needed to do early on. They weren't amazing, but, you know, we didn't threaten very much at all. And players like Felipe Anderson, Marco Arnautovic, we haven't got people who can perform that well when they need to in our team this year to the extent that West Ham have. So I don't think anyone's making that point. So as much as, you know, we've been in good form, so... We probably do a loss. <laughs> I'll be honest. I just want to pick up on the Reese Oxford thing, actually, because I think um, a lot's been made of this uh, Bundesliga being the new route for young English players. You know, um, people are saying like Jadon Sancho's gone. It's been great for him. Reese Nelson, Phil, it's Phil Foden couldn't for. have. But if you think of people like Adamola Luckman, he came through at Charlton. He was blistering. He went scored to goals at Red Bull Leipzig, Leipzig, though. It he went great. quite well. But then he came back, and it hasn't massively happened for him at Everton now? Well, I think I, I take your point absolutely and you bang on, but I think in the case of Luckman, that's actually not a problem with RBL. It's not a problem with the Bundesliga. I think a lot of Everton fans, if you speak to them, would say that's a problem with Marco Silva, particularly at the weekend when Walcott started in the derby. Everton fans were crying out for Luckman to be involved. But now closing down this debate, because it says on my running order, gent, Rice versus Longstaff settled. We've got to settle it. We've still got a Newcastle fan here. We'll go around starting with James Jones of West Ham World. James, who's better, Declan Rice or Sean Longstaff? Declan Rice. Declan Rice, that's one of four. Will Pugh of Bulls on the Line pod, who's better, Declan Rice or Sean Longstaff? Offended I even have to answer, Declan (laughs) Rice. Declan Rice. And Laurie Callas, producer of the show and long-suffering Newcastle fan, who is better, Declan Rice or Sean Longstaff? Can I reserve a year and tell you then? You can. You'll still be wrong then. My line is that Declan Rice is the superior player. This, of course, is a superior show. And coming up in our final half hour, we've got all sorts, not least the sensational home form. Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport.
You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio and stay with us because we've got an action-packed final half hour coming up for you. A focus on that home form, unbeaten in six home games, sensational results, sensational run. Last defeat was Watford, that was before Christmas. Declan Rice and Mark Noble have spoken of home comforts recently. How important is that to maintain form? We've talked about the good feeling at the club, imperative to keep it going. Coming up, of course, at the weekend, it's a clash against Cardiff. We'll be getting the Cardiff view from Dominic Booth, Cardiff City correspondent for Wales Online, and we'll be getting our own teeth into that game. You can get on touch on 0208 70 20 558 or at Love Sport on Twitter. But first, it's your latest headlines. Love Sport, 558 AM. Welcome back to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, James Jones from West Ham World and of course Will Pugh from the Bulls on the Line pod. On the agenda now, gents, this sensational home form. The term fortress is a overused footballing cliche, but actually when you haven't lost since before Christmas, it does become relevant. Absolutely. Uh, and I think Regard stadium aside, it's uh, another oft thrown around cliche in football. Is that I think um, Puel at Leicester may have suffered from it. I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but where on paper and when you look at the league table, a team appears to be doing well, but if they're picking up a lot of their points, maybe away from home, then there still seems to be a feeling of unrest around the club because you know naturally the vast majority of uh, clubs fans who go and see their team and what they've got to go on is always the home matches so and I, I think anyone in charge of a club would you know would take the majority of their points from home games in a season if they could because it you know uh, manufactures that feeling that things are you know really really good if most of the fans are seeing them win week in week out and I think you know we haven't had that it hasn't felt like a fortress if you will for since we've been there basically is it yeah and no, I've always said that you know, particularly during the really really bad times after we moved in to the stadium during particularly the first season a little bit maybe this time last year with the whole Burnley thing that happened and um no I just we need to start winning football matches at that stadium. And once we start doing that, people forget, you know, about its flaws and whether it is a football stadium or it isn't a football stadium. And and at the moment, we're beginning to do that. You know, we've got a real big opportunity after Cardiff. We've got two home games in a row in Huddersfield and Everton. An opportunity to extend that from six to eight. You know, when you've got eight, eight unbeaten games at home, um, and six already is pretty good, but it's just, it's exactly what the club needed in terms of you know being able to really move on from the heartbreak of having of, of leaving Upton Park, so then actually start going. Actually, no, it's not going to be too bad. This isn't going to be too bad at all. Pellegrini's played a big role in that, and the money that was spent, and everyone expected big things. It took a little bit of time to get going, but we lost our first. I think we lost our first two home games this season, and then I thought, well, here we go, another season like this. <laughs> but it's beginning to it's beginning to pick up, and if we can just ensure that every season. From now and and every season, actually, have you know, make it hard for teams to come to to uh, London Stadium. Like we we more often than not did Upton Park. Upton Park 
was never a real fortress. No. Um, it might have been under the lights, you know. We had a real real knack of get, getting that right under the lights because the fans made it, you know, a real tough place to come to. But, you know, all the all these stories you hear from fans going, oh, you know, Alton Park was a real a real tough place to go. It's for, such a myth, so isn't it? It's a big myth because I, me- I remember going to Alton Park on a Saturday afternoon and, and being... <laughs> Like just like almost falling asleep because the yeah. atmosphere wasn't great, and we'd, we'd lose one nil to Palace or something like that. And and then you go home and go, oh, maybe moving to the stadium won't be a bad idea. Um, you know, obviously we'd rather have stayed at Upton Park, obviously, but you know, perhaps now if we can build on this, there's no reason why you know we can't, we really can't make London Stadium a real part of our history. Um, well, you've got to. We've got to. You? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, but, looking in externally, when there was that change, it looked like if it wasn't ill feeling it was certainly unrest that was for quite a protracted period and it looked to me like West Ham just weren't gonna accept this it sounds like you're saying James that good form will help you do that but in terms of the history it's going to be a part of your history whatever happens because it is your ground now and so either it's a positive part of your history or it's a bad one but it's gonna be in there but Johnny the the I look at that in quite a quite a simple way so Upton Park it was a place everyone had gone to watch their football for years and years and years, generations and generations, and everyone knew what West Ham were. They were, I wouldn't say a yo-yo club, but to an extent there was a bit of that. You know, with some seasons we'd we'd finish 7th or 8th in the Premier League, it'd be really good. Next season we'd be flirting with relegation. That was kind of it. Everyone knew what, what they had, but they were watching football at a place they loved. The whole thing was, right, we'll move stadium, so you sacrifice that, the bit you love, going to that ground. But in return, what you'll get is a football team that won't be so, you know, up and down and won't, you, you'll know a bit more what you get and we're going to be good and we're going to move up to that next level. That was what all the anger was about. It was, the, all right, the move might not have been ideal, but it was a new stadium, but the deal was, we'll move, which might not be ideal for you lot, but don't worry because in return, the football will be better. And we got two relegation battles in exactly. a row. And yeah. we got exactly the same as what we had before, football-wise, at a place that was not a patch on what we had before, stadium-wise. Mm. But with that in mind, all of that investment in the summer, the 100 million quid, Yarmolenko, uh, Felipe Anderson, wonderful players coming into the club, with not just the good form, but also that kind of money being spent, does it finally feel like the owners are making good on their end of that bargain, or is there still work to be done to placate the fans can i i i got a really nice analogy that i'm really proud of with this with the with last summer and with that money that they put in they they had to so the way i look at it was that we'd been in a if you're in a relationship with someone for five years and they're horrible to you and you know you're always arguing and all that sort of thing and they're they're out all the time and one night they (laughs) go out and it's till the next morning and you come home and your missus has a go at you, really gives it to you for being out till 5am. And you go, you have a wake-up call. You go, all right, sorry, sorry. So for the next week, you buy her flowers and you take her out for dinner. For and the you... week after that. Exactly. You've got to keep doing that. You can't just do that. And that's what that 100 million represents for me. It's the flowers. It's that week uh, of yeah, breakfast of in bed. Exactly. The breakfast in bed, the dinner on the table when she gets in and they're telling her how pretty she is every day. <laughs> you've got to be able to maintain that. I, I can't remember David Sullivan telling her how much how pretty the fans are. <laughs> to be fair, you promised us a great analogy. You delivered a great analogy. With the flowers as the 100 million quid. 100 million quid is probably not going to be spent every summer. That said, this kind of football could be replicated every year, couldn't it? Yes. um, I don't think 100 million needs to be spent every summer. It would be nice if we did. But at the same time, given the market 
in the way it is. And we saw Fulham do it and it all went wrong. Um, it could have easily gone wrong for us as well. Um, the market, the way it is, you've, you've got, you've got, I think the 100 million that we spent was good just to build, you know, the foundations for what Pellegrini's trying to build. And then, you know, January, they didn't really do much, brought Nashville in on a free. Uh, next summer, might be 40 or 50 million, but it has to be 40 or 50 million on players that we need to strengthen areas in the squad that need strengthening. Mm. Um, and I genuinely believe that Pellegrini will ensure that he gets what he needs rather than allows David Sullivan to do what he has done in the past and gone, I've got a great player for you on a, on a cheap. Here he is, he'll be, at, he'll be at training on Monday morning and it turns out to be you know rubbish, which is probably what's happened to a number of managers in the past. Um, Pellegrini will get the players he wants and he won't need to spend a hundred million again because, you know, he's already laid those foundations with that initial outlay. Well the big the big clubs now, when you look at it, do they do little and often, don't they? They do I know they're big signings and big amounts, but Manchester City, they're just always steadily improving, aren't they? They're just the whoever's the what they they get out what they don't need and what's not quite performing and they just they quietly go about the business. They improve that position, they improve that position slowly. Well, we did need a big overhaul last summer, which is what we got. But now, hopefully, we've given ourselves that platform to just start doing that and just look in the summer and take a few more deep breaths before a transfer window and go, right, you know what? Instead of a massive squad overhaul, we don't need that. But this position could do with some work, so we'll improve there. And then next window, maybe we just improve there. Yeah. A bit more of a measured approach I'd, rather than gung-ho. Yeah, I'd like, us, I'd like to see us do that. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of dead wood in the team that probably needs to go. Um and um, we should expect to see a, a fair amount of changes. You know, Anatovic, I don't think he'll be there next season. Masuaku will probably be go, probably go. No one really knows what's going to happen with um, uh, Antonio. So there's still going to be um, quite a lot of business, but I can't see us having to replace those players with £40, £50 million pound players. Can, just one thing that I must say and leap to his defence. Uh, Masuaku against Newcastle, when he came on, revelation. What a man. And I know you absolutely despise him, and so does everyone. <laughs> I don't despise him. I just couldn't wait to actually be able to stick up for him, because I thought he was really good when he yeah, came on. he did on. play well. I mean, I don't despise him. Um, I just can't can't forget the fact that he spat at someone. He's, that, well, yeah. he has also, I mean, sp- obviously, spit, I'm not going to sit here and yeah. go, spitting's fine. Spitting is obviously not fine on a football pitch or anywhere else. But to give credit where it's due, he does have quite a box of tricks. He, he does. Um, he just can't defend. Stick him on the wing and he might do a good job, but he just uh, play him, play him in defence, and you're asking for trouble. Well, I know, I know it might not last too long, but I did have to, uh, I did have to give him some props while I could because it might be a while before Fair. I can legitimately give Masuaku some applause in your company again, <laughs> mightn't it? Well, yeah. and not as a West Ham fan, he's the kind of fullback you like watching play for someone else's team because, firstly, when you play them, you know that you can bomb down that wing and you have a bit of joy, but also there is a delight in watching someone who isn't Danny Alves think he's Danny Alves it's always quite entertaining <laughs> despite Arthur Masuaku there is a good feeling at the club despite slight pessimism there is a good feeling at the club we've made a lot of that throughout this show and the next step of that is getting three points against Cardiff City at the weekend coming up we'll be talking to Dominic Booth who's Cardiff City correspondent for Wales Online to get their view love sports Watford five Cardiff one Everton three Cardiff nil <laughs> Wolves 2, Cardiff 0. It's not been a good few weeks for the Bluebirds. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Dominic Booth, Cardiff City correspondent for Wales Online. Dominic, where's it all going wrong? Uh, hi, Johnny. Thanks for having me on. Thanks um, for coming. That's a very good question. 
Um, it's one for Neil Warnock to solve, really. He's sort of mixed and matched, matched the selections recently. He's rotated a winning team um, from the two games before that, and that's where it's, it's gone wrong, really. It's, um, it's puzzling for the Cardiff City fans at the moment. With that in mind, there have been really surprisingly good results in some fixtures for the Bluebirds this season. Uh, we've been talking throughout the show that West Ham have a perhaps a liability to be performing well and then slip up against a team everyone expects them to beat. Is there a feeling at Cardiff that actually you could turn the Hammers over at the weekend? Well, it's not that they could do it, it's that they have to, really. Um, with the games Cardiff have got coming up, they've got Chelsea and Man City around the corner. And with the situation that they're in, two points off safety. Um, that's three points, really, when you factor in goal difference with Southampton. So it's a must-win for Cardiff. It's not It's not can they do it. They've just got to find a way. They've got to go back to the, the tactics that saw them beat the likes of uh, Bournemouth, Southampton, Leicester, um, you know, other big teams at home. Wolves are beating at home, Brighton. So they can do it against that calibre of team. They've just got to go back to basics, really. Dominic, James here. I mean, we saw what happened in um, the tragic events that happened with um, Emiliano Salah in in January, and I can't help but think that after all of that, it, it's having it's now beginning to sort of have a negative effect on what Cardiff are trying to do this season. I mean, it, it was a record signing, um, signed to score goals and keep them in the Premier League, and obviously that ne- that never happened tragically. Do you think is that something that's quite underlying at the club at the moment? Yeah, you can't talk about Cardiff City really at the moment without mentioning it or at least thinking about the Emiliano Sala tragedy. It's affected Neil Warnock, I think, more than more mm. than anyone. Uh, obviously, with the stories that are coming out at the moment, um, you know, with, with potential big ramifications for the club and the transfer dispute. So there's, there's no doubt that's plaguing the minds of everyone at the club. Initially, it had a galvanising effect on the team. They won back-to-back games for the first time in the top flight for for more than 50 years. Mm. So it's hard to pin that on the reason why it's gone wrong recently, but you are right. It's, it's not going to go away. You know, it's going to be something that, that we'll look back on in the years to come and say, you know, that was, that was obviously a hugely, hugely emotional, hugely affecting time for everyone. Evening, Dominic. I completely agree with what you said there. And I was having this conversation the other day about the, the Salah tragedy and how at the time it sort of there was that extra impetus within the squad um, and agree with James about what's happening now. Obviously, there's the news that um, Cardiff have lost Sol Bamba, obviously. Um, and I've got down here that, that that's a nightmare for them. I'll be honest, I, I would have hoped and expected us to to get the win like prior to that. But do you think... With that news, that that's just you know one more thing on the pile of reasons that there's very little chance of Cardiff getting anything against West Ham. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I spoke to Neil Warnock on the phone the other day, actually, and he was saying you know it's just one thing after another this season for Cardiff. You know, even before the the terrible Salah tragedy, uh, Cardiff tended to to face a team just after they sacked the manager, and that, that had the the effect on the other team. They faced Solskjaer in United's first game, and United absolutely ran all over them. It's, there's been the sense of it kind of just had to deal with so many blows this season. The Bamber injury is obviously a massive one because he's probably the, the biggest leader they have on the pitch. He's Warnock's closest ally on the pitch. So, yeah, they'll have to, they'll have to, they'll have to find a way without him. It's not going to be easy because I think Bamber's probably the Cardiff player who's caught the eye of other um, fans of other teams this, this season more than anyone else. So, yeah, it's, they keep going for Cardiff. Dominic, looking ahead to this weekend's action, if you had to pinpoint one West Ham player who'll be concerning Neil Warnock, worrying the Cardiff fans, who would that be? 
Uh, Felipe Anderson, without a shadow of a doubt. 18 Cardiff. nutmegs, at least, I've been informed. It might be it might be double that against Cardiff, I feel. <laughs> um, against the Cardiff back line, especially without Sol Bamber in there to make those crunching tackles. You know, Anderson, I think, West Ham fans probably won't want to hear me say this, but I think he should be playing for a, a bigger and better team. Probably a top six There are some, there are some faces player. being pulled in the studio, Dominic, but carry on. Oh, I don't think he could die. He's a top six calibre player um, on his day. He's as good as most people in the league. So, yeah, Cardiff have got to, have got to find a way to live with him. Um, also, obviously, been hugely impressed with Declan Rice, but I actually think that he'll probably go largely in trouble in this game because Cardiff are likely to play without a number 10. We'll probably channel their attacking uh, threats down the wings. I think if you're looking at maybe somewhere where West Ham aren't as strong, I think it's potentially in the full-back positions. I don't know what the boys think. But yeah, Anderson's a sensational player. Looking forward to seeing him, actually. Uh, Dominic, I was quite enjoying uh, the call and it was making me feel quite a lot better before you made those ridiculous statements Sorry. about <laughs> Felipe Anderson. But um, on realistically, can you can you actually see anything other than a West Ham win in the in the upcoming game? Or you know, is there a chance that, that you could nick something? Hopefully not win. Well, it depends. It depends which Cardiff turns up because we've seen two different ones. We've seen the one where they can be really compact, really sort of cutting, have that cutting edge in the final third, and they've seen the one that's just capitulated against almost anyone in the last three games. So, I actually I think West Ham will perform to a level. I think it's actually down to Cardiff. If, if Cardiff don't turn up, they get rolled over e- easily by two or three goals. But if Cardiff can make it a battle, I don't see any reason why they can't nick it by a goal. Right, Dominic, I'm going to have to put you on the spot, I'm afraid, mate. Score prediction for the weekend. Yeah, that is putting me on the spot a little bit, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna say a draw. I think one all. Um, Cardiff can't afford to lose, so I think that they'll just... The crowd at Cardiff City Stadium won't let them lose, so I think that there'll they'll be a goal apiece. Uh, but probably, probably quite an entertaining one. OK, one all will take. And Dominic, just before you leave us, I gather that straight after this interview, you're scampering off to go and play five aside. I've got to know a little yeah. bit about the system. What role do you play? Are you a twinkle-toed attacker? Are you a destructive midfielder? What's going on there? I think if I'm a West Ham player, I'm Mark Noble. All, uh, I'm, all, yes. I'm shouting a lot, I'm running a lot, but I'm not providing maybe the, uh, the composure on the ball that others are there. Oh, so don't do yourself down, Dominic. You'll be on the pens as well, which is something. That was Dominic <laughs> Booth there, Cardiff City <laughs> correspondent for Wales Online. Dominic, thanks ever so much for joining us. He reckons one all. I think it might be a bit better. We'll get our teeth into that game in just a moment. This is Love Sport. Welcome back to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. Now, just a moment ago, we were talking to Dominic Booth, Cardiff City correspondent for Wales Online. He reckoned it'll be a one-all draw. He said an entertaining one-all draw, but one point apiece for West Ham and Cardiff. I suspect it'll be an entertaining game, but I think we'll have a winner. Gents, what's the consensus? Well, he also said that Felipe Anderson should be playing for a top six club. So, so we're not listening to him. doesn't know what he's talking about, does he? <laughs> but no, I... Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping keeping up my positive attitude from earlier on, and yeah, I think it's going to be convincing. I think the Bamber thing is, it, I say we should probably should have expected to beat them prior to that. They've lost games with him in the team. That's just another blow to them. We're looking really good at the moment. The players are loving it. So yeah, I reckon convincing, like a bit of a Southampton-esque away-esque performance again, and yeah, three 0 I reckon. Yeah, I mean that'd be lovely. Uh, I think we need to just improve our goal difference a little bit. Just to catch up with Wolves and Watford, who are beginning to pull away, goal difference wise. Um, but I think what what was interesting what Dominic said there was about um, what Neil Warnock said about losing Bamba in that it was just one thing after another. 
Um, and you can imagine Neil Warnock, given the thing, everything that happened with Salah and how much that affected him and the club, that losing arguably your best player, you know, your leader on the pitch uh, for the rest of the season in what is a relegation battle on the back of a number of heavy defeats at home, you wonder how much fight Warnock's got left. Um, I think he's a man, actually. I take your point completely, but I think if there is ever a man not lacking in fight, even in the face of tragedy, it probably is Neil yeah, Warnock. Yeah, ma- maybe. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just found it quite interesting what Dominic said there, you know, after he spoke to him on the phone and, you know, it's one thing after another. And you you feel for the club. I mean, I, I desperately feel sorry for him because, you know, at one point they looked like they might they might stay up and obviously things have gone against them. So, you know, it's been one thing after another. But with Bamber out the team, and you're right, Will, I, you know, I I fancy us to beat them without. I know I've said earlier on the show that I could see us losing. Yeah. But even, even with Bamber, you know, we've got enough to beat them. But without them... Without him, you know, I, I can see us winning three or four nil. Well, I think it's an interesting one with Cardiff because at the beginning of the season, Warnock was massively playing on that. Oh, little old Cardiff, we're, we're just pleased to be for here. Relegation, he said. Exactly. Yeah, we're just really happy to just be here. Just want to be everyone's mate. Exactly. <laughs> if they got a win, it was car. Oh, you know, oh, we're going to really enjoy this. So proud. We just boys. got a year, you know, in the Premier League, which which we're going to love. And I think almost. With a, like everyone was kind of going, oh, all right, like rolling their eyes at it a bit, like, all right, Warnock, it's just part of the ploy. And then all of a sudden, this, you know, huge tragedies happened, and everyone is actually like, oh, God, and do feel really sorry for the club, like you said there. I do, there's very, very few managers, certainly at the beginning of the season, who I enjoy winning against more than Neil Warnock, I must admit. Just no, no, I'm with you on that one. Um, but no, I I can't really I can't really see it going any other way. And because even if we have a we have an absolute you know stinker or that inconsistency creeps back into our game again, you'd still think that they haven't really got enough to to worry us too much, especially if Diop and um, Ogbonna carry on playing like they have done recently. Well, I mean, particularly Diop. I mean, the guys. He, everyone keeps talking about us being able to look, probably losing Rice. Um, I'm more worried about us losing Diop at this moment. The thing about brilliant. someone like Diop as well is because he came in for a big transfer fee, over 20 million quid in the summer. If you do lose him, which would obviously be terrible, you're talking big money. You're talking 45 million minimum. Oh, we double our money on him. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're not going to sell him for just a pittance. On the Diop being fantastic, on the defence generally being fantastic, and we've seen from Ogbonna, from Diop and from Rice in the last few weeks that all of them are a goal threat from set plays. Sol Bamba was the man who Cardiff probably would have been looking to most, along with Morrison, of course, club captain, to deal with those dangerous deliveries from set pieces, the likes of Snodgrass whipping the ball in. With that in mind, do you think that corners are somewhere where you can exploit this particular fixture? I, yeah, I think so. I mean, we're not really renowned for that generally, are we? Being outstanding at set pieces, Apart but from the last two wins. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but they were just. I mean, the Fulham especially was just abject defending. It was yeah. like Sunday league stuff. So, you, I mean, we're. I, I think what's nice is we're a threat all over the pitch at the moment, aren't mm. we? With the balls on the floor, it's in the air. We just look dangerous, and I, you would really hope that we'll be able to to exploit that with. In, in we kind of hope that we're better than them whether like I say with the balls on the floor or in the air so we should be able to exploit them one way or another yeah I think we should and as we spoke about a lot on, on, on this show this week the feel good factor should take us into that game with a lot of confidence and particularly with Cardiff City having lost three on the spin yeah the converse will be true of them my only worry is that we go in there like we have done in a number of games this season with a little bit of complacency 
Um, we did it at Bournemouth. We did it at Wolves. Wimbledon. We did it against Wimbledon, where <laughs> we go in there and go, oh yeah, we'll beat this. Like this is gonna be easy. We're in good form, uh, and then we get turned over. And that's my only worry, and that's partly why I've been a bit pessimistic earlier on in the in the show because I know what West Ham are like, and we've seen it this season already. We 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 have that in us. We have that in us, and that worries me. Well, good for a bit of balance. Just a quick update from the Champions League, gents, because, of course, we do have football going on at the moment. It's nil-nil in Porto. Porto taking on Roma, of course. Roma, therefore, still 2-1 up on aggregate FC Porto significantly with that away goal. We've seen a lot of action in the first 26 or so minutes of PSG versus Manchester United. Lukaku gave United the lead after just two minutes in Paris, but it is now 3-1 again. PSG got a goal back. one all on the day. Still a two-goal cushion for PSG at 3-1. But crucially for United, they have got an away goal. Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty as uh, as a few other people, certainly in years gone by, of trying to find something else to do on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when the Champions League's on. But unfortunately, friends of mine, especially... Tottenham fans or had to watch their game with last night it gets ran down your throat sometimes doesn't it? <laughs> but we'll be there soon enough James what you yeah saying? one day Felipe Anderson nutmegging people on a European stage. That's yeah. it's been a delight of a show. We're coming to the end of it. I I put Dominic. I'm just being told on my ear that Porto have just scored. Tiquinho bagging in the 26th minute. One nil Porto. So they're two all now, and Porto lead because they have an away goal. Impressive scenes there, gents. A wonderful first show. Thanks Tiquinho. I was trying to wrap up. Thanks very much. I put Dominic Booth on the spot. I'm going to have to put you on the spot as well. Score predictions for Cardiff, please. West Ham 3-0. Well, Pew, not messing about. James? I'm going to go West Ham 2-0. West Ham 2-0. Okay, and in terms of goal scorers, if you both had to name a particular danger man. I'm going Rice again. I reckon he'll notch Big again. Dick. Yeah. I want to go uh, an Anderson brace, just purely for my fantasy team, because I need him to start delivering. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking at mine thinking, I need to get some West Ham players in. I've seen the fixtures. Pic- fixtures, Lads, it's been a wonderful show. Talked to Tony Carr, gone through the excellent home form, looking forward to some more excellent home form. Wonderful, wonderful feeling around the club at the moment, and long may it continue. For the fans, by the fans, Love Sport Radio. Sports Social Podcast Network.